Hey everybody, Mary Fran Bontempo here. And before we get started with this week's episode, did you know that Brilliantly Resilient can come directly to you? That's right, we have keynotes, programs, presentations, workshops, all available to companies, associations, conferences, and organizations, either virtually or live in person. So head on over to brilliantlyresilient.net at the speaking tab to find out more. And while you're there, you can also sign up for our weekly Brilliance Bit, which comes to you once a week directly to your inbox and has a bit of brilliance from this week's show and will keep you living in a brilliantly resilient mindset. Okay, let's get on with the show. Welcome to the Brilliantly Resilient Podcast. What's your train wreck? Everyone has one. The question is, are you going to live there or are you just visiting? Let's check in with Mary Fran and Kristen to learn how to come through not broken, but brilliant. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Brilliantly Resilient Live. Uh, My partner, Kristen Smedley, is off the mic today, but I have one of my buddies, True Confessions here, one of my buddies, Kevin Nolan with me today, who has a new book out called Organizational Muscle, which we will get into. And Kevin is the founder, CEO, guru, everything of both Nolan Painting and Nolan Consulting. So, Kevin, I'm going to let you talk about your background, but also true confessions here. Kevin and I have known each other for a very long time because Kev is married to the other Mary Fran in my little Catholic school. We actually got married on the same day, hours apart from one another. But um, Kev is somebody well, I've are always the admired. Mary Fran I know. Yeah, the, right? The Mary Fran I know. I know. And the two of us grew up together, me and the other Mary Fran. Um, but Kev is somebody that I have grown to respect both as a friend, but also as a businessman. And I want to talk about his book, Organizational Muscle, the wonder of what he's created with Nolan Painting. So, Kev, thanks for joining me today. And let's get into this. Thanks, Mary Fran. It does, that does sound strange to, to say Mary Fran. I know. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm not being interviewed by my wife. Um, but, Which uh, happens pretty much every day. Yeah, but yes, so, we, we do go back a long way. We do. Um, and um, so you are a respected author and I really, uh, I just wrote a book and I reached out to you um, and you've given me some great advice about uh, next steps as an author and how to promote my book and, and how to be strong. I reached out to you and I told you how vulnerable I felt having put it all out there uh, into a book. Um, but first, yeah, first I'll give you some background. Um, so for 44 years, um, uh, my entire adult life, um, I've been running a painting business, a house painting business. Um, I started with an entrepreneurial seizure when I was 19 years old. Um, and um, I went, I did make it through college barely, but I graduated and then just continued from Villanova. And I stayed here and married my uh, my sweetheart, Mary Fran, and stayed in the uh the Philadelphia region and uh, started painting houses. Um, and so for like 17 years, I, I painted houses and maybe had maybe eight or 10 people working for me and um, mostly struggled 
uh, mostly struggled pretty hard. Didn't struggle so much in the beginning when it was just me and my friend and she was working and it was mostly a cash business and I didn't pay a whole lot of taxes and insurance, but uh, you know, you have to settle down and we settled down and I had Did kids. You? Well, you kids. settled down. <laughs> Yeah. Four kids yeah. later. Yeah, four kids, and then, um, and then, yeah, obviously becoming a legitimate business um, through the years, and uh, struggled an awful lot in, until about oh, 1997. After um, after betting business for like 17, 18 years, I had what I continue to be my second entrepreneurial seizure, where I, um, I love that term. All of a sudden, started to think differently. Um, and when I, um, when I think about the triggers, I'll, I'll allude to them more later, but I opened up my mind to the outside world and started learning again, um, mm. learning how to run a business almost from scratch again. Um, and so I'll talk more about that in a minute, but then, um, since that time we've grown into the, uh, largest, um, uh, I'll put some qualifiers around it. Largest uh, privately owned, uh, employee-based, family-owned business, painting business in the country. Uh, really just the largest uh, employee-based uh, residential painting business in the country. We have about so, 150 employees. So here's the thing that, that strikes me about this, and I kind of want to make this point to people because at Brilliantly Resilient, you know, we talk about having an innate brilliance and having strengths. And people tend to think that that has to be about something big. Like it has to be huge. But I knew you when you were 19 years old and painting houses. And and not necessarily the painting part was your brilliance, although it, it was. This was something you started to do as a kid to make some money while you were in college. But what you then did with this is where your brilliance is, this, this building a business, but also the thing that you just said about this learning again. We have to recognize that, you know, these strengths that we have, these innate pieces, this uh, the world is, is constantly evolving and we have to be willing to learn. And one of the things that I love that you brought into your business, and this is huge, this is about, you talk about your employees all the time. This is about relationship building to a large degree and creating a culture, not only within your, your business, but with your customers. So I guess what my question becomes, there's a couple of things I wanted to talk about, but when did that piece of it, that idea of building and creating this culture and recognizing how big of a part of your business that was, when did that kind of hit you? Well, so as I mentioned around... 1997, so in my mid to late 30s, four children, I've lost all my hair. Um, <laughs> I feel really beat up. Um, I just I just feel like this didn't turn out like I was hoping. I was threatening to move to a different part of the country to try something else with my kids and family, but to try something else out. Um, but I, you know, I was looking for, I was out there in the world looking for answers, which is, you know, part of how you find them. You start looking for them. And I remember going to see uh, Zig Ziglar. You remember mm. Zig Ziglar? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he said something that to this day, so Zig had a particular way about him. He'd walk up to the edge of the stage, and I might have been 20 rows back, but he got on one knee and he stared at me. And he said, you can get anything in the world that you want if you help other people get what they want. And a light bulb went off in my head. 
And all of a sudden I started to realize that if I could start to get other people what they want, whether it was a customer getting what they want or an employee getting what they want, as long as we were in alignment, that the things that we wanted were the same, hmm. like, like I want to make the customer happy and the customer wants to be happy. That's the same, right? Um, same with my employees. I want my employees to be happy um, and they want to be happy. As long as we can get an alignment around some things, um, then all of a sudden we're on the same team. And being part of a team is one of the best things about being a human. Like we're collaborative, we work together. That's what makes humans so special. They work together. They, they're not all, they're not lone wolves. Humans work together. And when I started to realize that collaborative force, that collaborative opportunity of getting other people around and helping them get ahead. And then they, they wanted to help me and we helped each other. And, and all of a sudden I started to realize the power of that. And it's funny because it's just a mind shift, but it's so common sense. But yeah, I got it. And it started to reframe everything I didn't thought. Well, and to your point, what those mind shifts do is ultimately lead to different actions. And, and it's, it, people always talk about, oh, how do you change your mindset? Well, okay. You, you change the thought, but then you act, you have to act on it. You can't just think about it. You have to do. So then that leads to the next question. So what did you start doing both institutionally within your business, with your employees to create that culture? And then how did you help them be emissaries of that to your customers? Because you talked about, so in your book, I want to, I want to talk about, you talk about setting the tone um, and building relationships, but it, but it very much involves the the vision you have the mission core values managing the culture controlling the drama which i love and repeat so how did you practically institute those things so i i got a couple of folks who i'd already started to establish like this basis of we're going to help each other get ahead in the world and and it wasn't about kev you're the boss and i'm the employee it was about we're working together um, I happen to be the leader here, uh, but the two of us, I need you just as much as you need me. So I got a few of us together and we had like a breakfast club and we put together our mission. Um, and I, I admit I was the one doing most of the talking, but I needed someone to listen and I needed someone to bounce ideas off of. I needed someone to say, yeah, Kev, that is a good idea. I like that. I love uh, that idea that you said that you just said about about I needed someone to listen that is so essential because we can really get wrapped up in our own ideas, um, but executing them most of the time, like you said earlier, we work as a team. We need other people. So I'm sorry, I didn't well, I mean, mean to interrupt, way, but I wanted to point that good. out. Not, not all of my ideas are good, and no. that is for sure. And I need people to say not a good idea, Ken, yeah. too, because like that's almost just as important. Um, because entrepreneurs in particular have lots of crazy ideas and they, they shouldn't act on every single one of them. So you do need someone to help you filter these. Um, so we, we put together our mission. We established what our values were as a company. Uh, once again, a lot of these were, a lot of these were my values, but I had already attracted people to what I stood for to me. They were working for me. They were, they're with me now still, by the way, some of these same people. 
So they already were, they already saw something in me that they liked in terms of the way I valued things. But, but what was wrong with just speaking the values out loud and telling people, this is what we stand for. We want a company that looks like this going forward. By the way, this has nothing to do with painting. This has nothing to do with painting houses. Right. This but those things can be building. universal. And this is the this is the message that I want to get across to people who are entrepreneurs and who are starting the company. There has to be a mission and a value system in place. You're, you're you know, you're non-negotiables. Absolutely. And then you build off of that. One of our one of our our I mean our, our four core values, real quickly, are best places to work. That means that's all the things it means to be a best place to work, which um, which is things like I like my boss. I have I do uh, meaningful work. I get I get recognition. There's a whole list of Gallup of Gallup uh, reasons why people like their job, and and pay is only like seven or eight on the list. But it, but it's important. But those whole things. That's a little bit of a cheat because I picked all I picked a big category with everything in it that's important because uh, you really want to have focused values. Yes. All values tell, are good. Tell me what that means, though. What does what what to you do focused values mean, and how do you translate that into a business model? So all I think all that not all, but most values are good. Like you know, honesty is good, integrity is good, family is good. You know, all hard work is good. These are all values that that they're all, they're almost all good. But it's very hard to be all things all the time. It's really a good idea to just focus on what you can be really great at. Like really just focus so that you so that your intentions are known and all of your actions, like you said before, your actions are traced right back to your words and to your thoughts. So yeah, so best places to work. That's one. Um, accountability, that's another value. Um, transparency is a value. Um, and then the, the last and really one of the more important values for our business is friendly. Um, we want everything to be friendly, every interaction. Um, we want, if we have to uh, terminate an employee, we want to make it friendly. When we're giving feedback to people, we want to make it friendly. Um, so we can be friendly about, about everything that we do. And so um, I hire friendly people. If they prove not to be friendly, they're not a good fit to our value system. We suggest that they become successful someplace else. So <laughs> um, that's what it means to put, run a values-based business is to talk about and live out the, the, the fundamentals that are important. Um, I mean, I think integrity is important too. Um, we just, we're not focusing on it because I, I think it can only... If you focus on too many things at once, that's not the definition of focus. So um, we narrow it into the four most important things that we think are necessary for us to be successful. Um, and then we have a few others like, you know, health and community are certainly big values. Well, um, and that community piece, that's another thing that I that I want to get into there, because that is a way, a very practical way to 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 show your value system to let people know who you are within the community um and that so that leads to the next part of this so you create this culture within your own company but then the mission becomes letting your potential customers know that this is who we are and this is what you're about so how did that community piece then fit into what you do well so i when i think of the word 
community, I think of common unity. Hmm. So, so all of the people in a community care about something and have something that unifies them. Yeah, we want to be right there. We want to be part of that effort, whatever we're all caring about. We want to be part of that and we want to add value to it. Um, so we've come up with a, an interesting way to do that. <clears throat> By the way, it's it's so great for business. Um, there's two ways it's great for business. It attracts customers and it attracts employees. Yeah. I mean, how much better does it get than that? Those are basically exactly. the two things you need. And it attracts both of those people that want to be part of it. And that's the importance of of the real importance. You know, when we talk about this brilliantly resilient thing, when we talk about people resetting, and this is exactly what you did. So this is really important that that our listeners hear this. When we talk within Brilliantly Resilient about resetting after a challenge, we say, go back to your value system. That's where you start. And then you build off of the action after, after you determine what that is. But but to your exact point, everybody, every good person in the world basically wants the same kinds of things. They want honest interactions. They want people to be friendly. They want them to do what they say they're going to do in business transactions. Yes. So when Sounds you- Sounds simple. <laughs> it is. The, it, it is. So here's what I always say about that, about that equation. It's simple. It's not easy yes. to execute necessarily. And it takes- yeah work and practice. So that leads to my next question. You've established all this. How did you put that into practice, both within your your company? And then how did you take that to your customers? Did you have some kind of a, you know, a mission statement? Here's what we're about. Here's what we want you to do when you go out to the customers. Because one of the things I want people to know about this book is it's very strategic. I mean, we're kind of focusing on on the value systems and the building of the community and all that. But this book is, is very strategically oriented because you built an incredibly successful business. That doesn't happen without systems in place and strategies and all this. So let's move from the, uh, just a little bit from the, <clears throat> the, the mindset piece to strate- strategic piece. How did you put that into practice? You know, well, like I said before, it's, well, I almost interrupted myself and said, hey, just as an, uh, it's good for business because it's good for getting customers and it's good for getting uh, getting uh, employees. So as a business, um, I I often you know we give away we give away money and we we go out to organizations and we give away time, talent, and treasure, right? Um, but we're not philanthropists, so I'm not a do-gooder. <laughs> um, I want to do good in the world. Don't get me wrong, I do want to do good in the world, but. Like I don't get up in the morning as a do-gooder. I get up in the morning and how am I going to grow my business? And and so when we give out, let's say, money or time or talent or treasure to an organization, um, we uh, we want it to be a you know we want it to be a win, and we want um, our employees to get something out of it. We'd like to get something out of it in return, uh, not necessarily a transactional like oh here's a job. Um, yeah. But something maybe would be publicity for our company. Um, I mean, I'm not super wealthy. I can't be giving away money. I need to grow the business. If I had lots of money to give away, I should just give it to my employees, right? They would benefit. But no, if I can figure out a way to grow our business and make it stronger and get more business 
and differentiate us from our competitors and charge more money because we differentiate from our competitors and then pass that money on to my employees and to the service levels that we provide. In other words, provide value with that. Um, you know, not take it for myself. You know, I talked before about you get anything you want in the world if you help other people. No one gets up in the morning and says, how can we get Kevin Nolan a motorboat? That's not what people want. <laughs> They're worried about their own world, you know? But if I can figure out a way on how to get you your first home, man, that's a superpower. I know that word's overused, superpower, but I'm telling you, I've used it. It works. I've yes. helped people buy homes. I have gotten them to be so loyal to the company because the company is loyal to them. And once again, that's the collaboration that I dream about. By the way, that's what I want. Um, you know, after you, after you get the motorboat, and I don't own a motorboat, but after you get a motorboat, I mean, you, you don't need a, you don't need a bigger one. You, you just have to find a way to be happy. It's not going to be material things. Um, it's but we've, we've learned that by this point. It takes some wisdom, I think, to get to that point. But one of the things that I like about you writing this book and one of the things that I like about your philosophy is this is wisdom that comes to us as we get older and all that. But we want people to get this picture younger, like when you're a young person starting out. And I think I do think that that sociologically, there is a lot of that movement in the world towards value based businesses and companies and people recognizing that, you know, there there is more obviously you want to make money, you want to be successful, you want to, you know, lead a comfortable life, but there are ways to do that and still be part of that common unity, as you call community and, and everybody benefits. And that's ultimately the goal. I think you're saying. Yeah, no, everybody does benefit. And I, you know, I originally thought of the book as a, as a list of instructions for my children who eventually will take over the business and I and let's I make the point it, that all four of your kids work in the business. Yes. Which is, you know, first of all, if yes. if all four of your kids can stand to work with their father, you're doing something right. Whoa, it's it's tenuous a little bit now. As I've gotten older in the last few years, and my some of my filters are coming off, I realize I might be overstaying my stay. So um I'll be getting out soon. Um <laughs> But I, I wanted to write like a set of instructions. And I, I joked, I said, here are the instructions. I'm leaving now. Um, and I thought of it as like a founder's document, my book. So, so they can change it. They can change anything they want in the future. Um, but it would be a good idea to have the founder's document as a reference guide. Your own, your own personal constitutional document. Exactly. You know, if you're going to change the constitution, you got to have like two thirds of everybody vote on it and all. It's a big deal. You don't just willy nilly make the change. Yeah. You do make the change because time changes. If they don't change, they won't survive. Um, and that's, you know, I talk about that in the book. Um, but why, like you said earlier, like, I, I don't need everybody to struggle all those years. It'd be so much better if there was less struggling. And um, yeah, the book is written for that struggling business owner who really just hasn't been able to self-actualize as far as they were dreaming they would be. They, you know, they're, they're just struggling to hire people, um, maybe, the, maybe financially or the seasonality of the business. Or maybe the, um, a lot of, I talk about this, the mindset of entrepreneurs, they get themselves in trouble a lot because, well, I even mentioned before, they have lots of crazy ideas. 
um, they do. They have crazy yeah. ideas. And sometimes someone has to tell them that that's not the best idea. Yeah. Um, so they don't go chasing that. Um, so, yeah, the, the more you could use wisdom to help other people and have other people use your wisdom is is once again, it's an ultimate form of collaboration that I want to be a part of. So. And but the other the other piece of this is when we add that into our the practical part of our lives, which is our work life and all of that, it really gives us that foundation to continue to build. So when you were just saying, you know, the kids can change anything about the business, I think you were referencing, you know, the the way the business works and all that, but but not necessarily the the values piece, because that becomes the constant. Those are the things that become the constant. So when you know what you want to say yes to, it makes it much easier to know what you want to say no to. And that can guide decisions, um, you know, both both in that that realm of values wise, but also guide decisions, practically speaking, in terms of business. So, you know, let's let's talk about that a little bit. So as you grew, did you find that this values-based mission plan, whatever, um, influenced your decisions about, you know, who you were going to work with and how you were going to continue to expand and grow both in terms of, you know, customers, but also things like, you know, what banks are you going to work with? What, what other businesses are you going to work with? Like that's important for entrepreneurs to know. So how did that piece fit into those things? Yeah, absolutely. It does affect everything. And it seems as though, you know, when we first made the values, they were important to us, but they've become more important over time um, because I've been able to relate them to those individual decisions that you talked about. Like my, my accounting firm, is, I don't know, it might be my sixth or seventh accounting firm, but I finally found the accounting firm, you know, seven or eight years ago that's, that, is, that is the same value-based accounting firm as we are. Like they're the same type of people. We share the same values. So it's important and, and my bankers are the same and it's taken years to get there. But at some point you do build those relationships with people that are like-minded, that care about some of the same things. And, and um, yeah, now I'm, I'm really, a, I'm really just a poster boy for these values at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you earlier asked me, how do you make it live in your company? And I, I talk about in the book, it's really mission, vision, values, repeat, mission, vision, values, repeat. We had a company meeting the other day and uh, John Meyer, who's my president, he's getting a lot more of a role. I'm still the CEO, but he's getting a lot more of a role um, at the meetings. And he's like, what should we talk about? And I said, it's the same script, mission, vision, values, repeat. Um, yeah. what, what you talk about as being important people will notice. Right. And, you know, like we, we talk a lot about customer service and about how happy our customers are at, at meetings. We, we spend 15 to 20 minutes telling customer service success stories. There's nobody that comes to our meeting. that doesn't know that we don't value customer service as like a super duper high priority, you know, because we spend so much time uh, rewarding people for it recognizing people for it um, and just championing, you know, that um, are friendly, the way we do things. And I tell the story in the book about a customer getting um, 
getting all hyped up about the how her shutters looked. The lady with the shutters. I just yeah. I just reread that piece. The lady with the shutters. Yeah. By the way, she we called. She called back and we repainted her shutters for the third time this summer. Oh. So, um, it's never going but, to end. You know what? It's never going to end. But she called back. Yes. And yes. and there you go because she was she was mad about something and you guys went above and beyond. But you also initially decided not to work with her. Yeah, so we she's wants more work done. We're not going to do more work for her, but we own the shutters. So uh, we we promised her a five-year warranty in the shutters, and, and she's in year four now. So so anyway, someday the shutters will end. But but I like that, I like that idea. We own the shutters. If you if you promise somebody something, you own that promise. Yep. Absolutely. And you have to find a way to deliver. And and let's be serious. There are people who, no matter what you do, I mean, you could cut and bleed for them and they'd be like, that's not yeah. enough. Well, you know? she 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 complained about her shutters. And I said, well, my people were friendly, right? And she, I, and she said, yes, of course. And I said, um, well, that's the important thing. And she said, no, that's not the important thing. The important thing are my shutters. I want them to look perfect. And I said to her, and I was being cheeky, and I don't know if she really got the whole gist of what I was saying, but I said to her, oh, you must have hired the wrong contractor. We're the contractors that are friendly, <laughs> not the perfect contractors. <laughs> um, and and here's the key. Nobody is the perfect contractor. But that's if, the you know, if you're willing to, to work with people and really show them the best of you and of your business, and show them that hey, you know what? We're all just people trying to trying to make each other happy here. Yeah. We can we can pull this off. So well, I, I never got so frustrated with that customer because I felt like I owned it. Like it was yeah, I own this. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not going to. And and you know what? That's a perfect attitude to have. Look, I said I was going to do this for you. We might not see eye to eye on how right. this should go, but I'm going to do the best I can to deliver so that our visions can at least align with each other in some yeah. way. And that word alignment is something really important that you. You know, you mentioned it earlier and I wrote it down a couple of times because at the end of the day, business, life, whatever, we have to find ourselves some kind of alignment with the other people in our lives where nothing works. Absolutely. Like I said, we're collaborative human beings. Yep. There you That's go. That's what makes human beings special. So before, I, there was something you said that you wanted to talk about, and I want to touch on it because I don't know what it is, and I want to know what you're talking about. What is Hourglass? So I talked about in the beginning of the book about how it feels when you're overwhelmed. Um, okay. The concept of being overwhelmed. Um, so it feels like you're in the hourglass, and you have to approve each piece of sand before <laughs> it goes through the hourglass. That is overwhelming. <laughs> And you're stuck there approving the sand. And as soon as you stop, no more sand goes through and everybody else is just waiting for you or you're waiting for something to happen, but that you're stuck there in the hourglass and that the only really way to, um, to really be happy is to get out of the hourglass. When I say happy, I mean, you know, successful as a business, successful as, an, as a boss, successful as an employee who's feel like you're doing what you should be doing is to get out of the hourglass. Um, and it, it typically involves getting other people to help you make those decisions, to help you- uh, So that you aren't the only one approving every single piece of sand, every exactly. single grain of sand. Yeah. 
That's so you start off with uh, you doing it, and then you get help doing it. Um, you make an organizational chart. In the beginning, your name is in every single box, and you start putting people in the different boxes, and you plan that in two years, I'm going to get someone for that box. And you start moving in the direction, and all of a sudden, you don't feel helpless and overwhelmed anymore. Um, when you say the word, I'm overwhelmed, uh, you have just put a pile of sand on yourself. Even by saying it, it doesn't feel better to say that. It feels yeah. worse. When you say I'm overwhelmed, it feels worse. So, you know, really, I, I, I say in the book, and I tell my kids this, and I tell myself this, don't say that. And I've said it, believe me, like we talked earlier, I've said we it. We all have a really good aptitude for making ourselves feel worse about anything that's lousy going on. Yeah. <laughs> we just keep repeating it over and over again, which is exactly. completely that's, non-productive. It's a form of an amygdala hijack, right? It's a form of a, an emotional intelligence gone wild. Mm -hmm. The uh, inability to, to, to control that thought around what is objectively happening. So something objectively is happening in the world. And whether you think it's good or bad, it's nothing to do with it. It's just something is happening. And now you have to process it so that you can move forward. And and you bring it full full circle back to this, this idea of, you know, engaging other people in your world. Um, and this is, again, what we talk about with this brilliantly resilient thing, you know, as as much as you may may think that you can manage all of it, you can't. You just can't. You, yeah. you might be able to manage it, but that doesn't mean that you're going to be successful at it because you cannot possibly have strengths across the board in every area. And it behooves you to, when you're running a business or in life in general, find the people whose strengths complement yours so that you can move forward as a team. And then there, and then your people feel more invested. Yeah, and then I think it's the, the entrepreneur, as you said, they have to have people around or they're they're just, they're nowhere. I mean, Elon Musk isn't building cars. I know he's considered a genius, but he's he's got to have people is around. Is he though? <laughs> he's not an emotional genius, we know These that. Days, uh, is he? Not an emotional genius, but he's he's a, other types of genius. Right. And there are other types of genius in the world. <laughs> we all know. Um, I don't fit a lot of the categories of genius, but when you get too emotional, you know, those have been some areas that I've been successful at. Um, the entrepreneur is going to have to be willing to change some of their, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur. I show up when I want. I do what I want. They have, they're going to have to subjugate themselves to a simple set of, you know, behaviors that can be accepted by other people. I mean, I remember showing up. 10 minutes after seven in the morning for a staff meeting, my meeting, I was the one running it. I have four kids at home and then being told by, by my right-hand person, you really shouldn't be late. It, it's not a good look. And, you know, I was mad that he said that. He had no idea what I was going through, but he was right. <laughs> <laughs> so he was yeah, right. And there we go again. We have to put that emotion out of the way and be willing to, just as you said, you needed somebody to, you need somebody to listen to you. We also need to be willing to listen. When we bring these other people in. We need someone in, to tell you too, right? Yeah. When we bring these other people in with these complementary skill sets, we have to be willing to take their their advice and their knowledge and, and incorporate that. That's not always easy for an entrepreneur to do, but it's so essential to your success. No question about it. I mean, I, I talk in the book about the fact that 
I thought I was a great salesperson selling paint jobs. I was selling a million dollars a year until I hired John Meyer, who's now my president. Um, all of a sudden, within a year, he was a better salesperson than me. Better numbers. Had better numbers. Um, well, of course he did, because I was running the business and selling. Um, but then I, you know, then I looked at some other areas like operations and finance. And, you know, I wasn't doing the best job in the world. And hiring other people to do those jobs was better than I was able to do myself. Yeah. And gives you really an opportunity life. then to to work your brilliance and, and do your strengths. So yeah, entrepreneurs, you know, it's no, it's no joke. You do start out doing everything. But at some point you have to recognize that in order to grow and in order to build, you have to have that team. And let's just sum Russell. up and say it has to be a values-based team that you share yeah. the same values and you're willing to listen to each well, other. And I call it all organizational muscle because it's organization of a lot of people. An organization is by its, you know, by its definition is more than one person, an organization. And that's why uh, I've always thought about it as building this team of people working together, you know, in unison, in alignment, building strength, um, you know, I'm, I've, I've been a big runner all my life and, um, you know, I've run a lot of marathons. And so when I think of muscle, I don't think of, you know, the bicep curl. I, I really think of the 26 mile run and, you know, both of them are using muscles. Um, and, and a lot of the my mentality is around the endurance, about the routines, about doing things routinely, um, getting your head around the fact that you're going to be doing a routine, that you're that, you know, you're going to have to do this every every single Wednesday morning at 6 a.m. We have a meeting and that's just the way it is. And and these routines are really grounding. They help people. They help the organization and they help the entrepreneur who is otherwise scatterbrained sometimes and all over the place, <laughs> um, like Elon Musk. And my buddy, my buddy Kristen and I, my partner, we we come up when we talk to each other. We have nine hundred and fifty-seven. That's her favorite number. Nine hundred fifty-seven ideas every <laughs> single time we talk, and we're we're both just like, okay, we we need to take a breath here. What right. can we do? What is that action step? Kevin, well, before Nolan, the call, the first thing I said to you for the call is, I said you are an entrepreneur. <laughs> Sometimes you're better you or worse. All the things that you do, and you know having a podcast and pushing yourself every week to create a new is um, well, thank God the world has entrepreneurs. I have to say. Yes. Yeah. You know yeah. what? We move things forward, <laughs> especially yeah. if we're values based. Kevin yeah. Nolan, this has been an amazing conversation. I love this book. It is full of heart. It's full of practicality. Um, and, and it's, it's a plan. It's a system for helping people grow uh, with again, a consciousness that is values based and that's so important in this world. So tell everybody where we can find organizational muscle, Kev. Well, you can, you can head to my website orgmuscle.com and sign up for the blog. Um, and also there's a link there to, um, Amazon. It's uh, available on Amazon as the Kindle and as a, as a paperback. And it's also available read by me on Audible. So, awesome. um, yeah, I'd love to have the entrepreneur read it and get back to me and tell me what they thought. Awesome. 
Okay, everybody, this is my buddy, Kev Nolan. He knows a lot of stuff. He's a successful guy. He's a great guy. I love his wife, the other Mary Fran. So I want everybody to run out and get a copy of Organizational Muscle. You will not be sorry, particularly if you are an entrepreneur trying to figure out ways to help your business grow. And while you're at it, you can also jump on brilliantlyresilient.net. You can sign up for our brilliance bit, which we send you every week. So I have been taking copious notes. Some of Kev's brilliance will come to you when this podcast airs, and we can also bring Brilliantly Resilient to your company or organization in speaking. So check us out, check Kev out, and we will see you next time on another episode of Brilliantly Resilient Live. See everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Brilliantly Resilient podcast. Join our Facebook group and follow us on YouTube to be inspired with tools to reset, rise, and reveal your brilliance.